Thank you so much for joining us on our live stream. And our uh, apologies, there was a little glitch there at the beginning of the service. And big thanks to uh, the whole team here that's making it happen behind the scenes so that we can, can worship together. So I hope that you can see me, you can hear me. Do you need a fresh cup of coffee? Do you? Do you? Go ahead, go ahead and get it. We'll wait for you. No, we're not really. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's okay. We're not going to wait. We're not going to wait. There's, there's too much to talk about. Uh, first off, congratulations again to, to Nick and all the graduates uh, going off uh, into uh, great plans that God has for them, and we want to bless them. And Cindy mentioned this uh, before the service, how significant it is. It's a real milestone when we have the opportunity to pray for our seniors before they head out in person. And so can we do that? Can we plan to do that? Maybe, I don't know what phase it's going to be. What phase do you have to be in to love on your kids? Maybe whatever that is, it's going to happen. Maybe, maybe it's in August before anyone leaves town, if that's their plans. But, but we want to say thank you uh, to parents. Bless you for your faithfulness to get your kids to this point and send them out to be uh, young adults. And then two announcements before I actually start preaching. The first uh, announcement is this coming uh, Thursday night, uh, Rob will be back and we will have our live stream at 7 p.m., uh, the prayer and praise night right here uh, on whatever channel you're watching us on. So I look forward to that. This is going to be once a month this summer. So this is it, folks. You've been waiting for a few weeks. You've been missing out. Come and join us Thursday night at 7 p.m. for prayer and praise with uh, the, the praise team. And then right now we're posting this also on social media. There is a link for you to go to register for our Father's Day service. We have a service at 9 and 1045, I believe 1045 is already booked out. We have limited space, uh, but you can find out more information uh, with the link that uh, is being posted right now. If you'd like to come to uh, the 9 o'clock, we would love for you to register uh, so we can know who's coming, and we can, uh, we'll send out information to you ahead of time for that. Rain or shine, folks, right? Rain or shine? It's going to rain on Father's Day? We're, we're going we're to pray for sun. She's saying it's not going to stop raining, but it's going, to, it's going to be sunny. Okay, time to get serious. Time to get a little preachy with Pastor Pete. Uh, three months ago, we had the youth auction. And at the youth auction, uh, money's raised to support uh, our uh, youth missions and our interns. Uh, we put out there for a bid, and the uh, Gilberts and the Bodwells uh, won the bid, the rights to request a sermon topic. And what I'm going to do this Sunday and next Sunday is sort of turn that into a two-part sermon series. And we're kind of coming off Revelation, so we're going to do two parts because the two requests kind of go together. So Barbara Gilbert asked for this first one, Pastor Pete, could you answer the question, what does it mean to have our identity in Christ? You kind of throw around that, that term. What, what does it mean to, to have your identity, to know who you are as a Christian, to be in Christ? And so I'm going to define it today. I'm going to give you some, some handholds, some practical ideas, application, implications of, of what that means for our Christian life. Part two, Steve Bodwell, Steve and Sue's bit on that, and Steve came to me and said, Pastor Pete, can you share your testimony, what God's put on your heart? And so I'm going to do that. A never-before-shared story that's my story and Cheryl's story, our most personal uh, story of what it means to have our identity in Christ uh, as, a, as an anchor 
for the soul. So we'll be sharing that next Sunday. So your identity. Your, your identity is another way of saying who you are. The, the way you, you think about yourself. The, the characteristics that, that make you who you are and define you. So what is Christian identity? That's really interesting for starters. As I studied this, the, the title of Christian is not used very often in the New Testament. In fact, pro- profoundly the most often used term for a Christian, you find it on nearly every page in the New Testament, is not Christian, it's in Christ or in Christ Jesus. That's the most common phrase. In is, is a preposition to show inclusion or location or, or position. So if you've asked Jesus into your life, you've received him, he's forgiven you, you believe in him, you've been saved, you've been born again, and you know him in a personal way, then you are in Christ. And you can't get any closer than being in. If you're, you're either in or you're out, right? Hey, I'm going to this great party. Oh, how was the party? Well, I never actually went inside. So were you at the party? Yeah, I was outside the party. I think the party and the party people are inside. And so when you're in Christ, you have this close relationship. And the Bible writers do a better job than I, I am in explaining the closeness that we have to Jesus. They, they use different word pictures of how holistic and, and near and personal it is to have this relationship with Christ, of what it means to be in Christ. So for example... The Apostle Paul writes, being in Christ, having our identity defined by this relationship, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that it's as intimate and as close as when a man and a woman become one flesh. That's how close, he says, we are spiritually connected to our Savior. And in John chapter 15, Jesus says, you want to understand how close we are? You're like a vine, you're like a branch. And I'm the vine. He says, it's like being attached, rooted. The very life force that moves within you comes from the vine that is Christ. He feeds us and we we derive life from him. So the Bible has has these different ideas. That's at least two. A, A third one makes it very corporate. You know, so often we think about our identity as just me, myself, and I, but there's a corporate sense of it as well. And so Paul will also talk about our identity in Christ, like how a, a, a head is attached to a body. You're not getting very far when your head is not attached to your body, right? And so he says, corporately, Christ is the head, and the church made up of Christians is the body. That's what it means to be in Christ. So these images, when we talk about being a disciple, it clearly says it's not just a name only. Uh, being, being a Christian isn't just a Sunday thing. Being a believer in Christ is not just a, a box that we check every so often, once a week, even twice a year. No, no, no. It's, it's a relationship that defines you. Uh, my marriage to Cheryl, I wear this wedding ring for almost 26 years. It, it defines me, not every aspect of me, surely, surely, but it defines my identity. The Bible says we're even closer to Christ than we are to the people we most love in this life. 
So no, to, to have this relationship is, is far beyond just an external label that we carry. No, no, to be your authentic self as a, as a new creation, as Cindy read that passage about being a new creation, it gets down to the very character of who you are in relationship to God. Now, why is that important? Why are we talking about this? Why did, why did I respond to Barbara with such enthusiasm, thinking, what a great subject, not just for uh, our high school students, but our middle school students, but for, for everyone to hear this. Why is this so important? Because the quality of your life, the degree of joy, fulfillment, living a happy, well-adjusted, successful life, directly corresponds to your identity. If you, if you don't know who you are, you cannot genuinely be fulfilled and joyful. Some people have, that, that are successful, imagine someone who's a celebrity, they have all the money in the world, they have all the fame, but they don't know who they are. That's why so often they, they spin out of control because they think all these things will finally define who I am and hey, you realize I'm, just that sad, uncertain, insecure kid that I was in grade school before I had all this fame and fortune. No, you you need to know who you are and whose you are. That's why it's so critically important to talk about the subject today, who the Creator has made you to be. And to know that, it's essential. So let's Let's look at a passage of scripture that spells this out. I'll try to make it really practical. I'll try to give you some handholds. Try not to just theologize and make it too way up here. Let's just bring it down to a, an idea that we can all understand. So I'd like to ask you to open your Bible to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. And it'll also be on, on, the, on the screen here. Here it is. Since then, you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, I get it. I know that sounds really theological, right? Lots of, wait, what? what? Okay. I'll try to bring it down, make it practical, something we could all understand. A little background. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church in a place called Colossae that he's never visited before. And so Paul does something that's just part of his MO. He does what, he, what he's known for doing throughout all of his letters. He spells out right at the beginning a lot of big theological concepts. And the central theme of the first two chapters of this letter It's all about the supremacy of Christ. He just really wants this church to behold his glory. That theme from Revelation, right? To look to Jesus. He wants to just spell out the deity of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. Two chapters just packed with theology. Then you get to chapter 3, and this is the turning point of the second half of the book. Do you see that word, since? Look at that word. Circle that word. Or sometimes it's translated, therefore. Now, with all that theology, the first part of the letter, now, therefore, because of that, in light of that, how do we live this out? What does all of that mean? He does that in all of his letters, doesn't he? 
Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of all we've seen uh, in, in the first 11 chapters, how are we going to live it out? And so bear with me. This is it right here. Paul's going to spell out in these next two chapters how our identity in Christ impacts how we live this life. And, and how we live, I want to say Christian lifestyle, but don't we know that being a Christian is more than a lifestyle? In fact, without the life that comes from God, without God doing something in us that only God can do, without being regenerated, without truly receiving Christ, crossing over from spiritual darkness to light, without that happening first, then trying to live this lifestyle, it's just moralism. And it's exhausting. When when you're motivated to live this lifestyle, to to live according to the the owner's manual, without having the Holy Spirit indwell you, that's exhausting. Why why would we do this? That's why first and foremost, that's why it takes two chapters. He really wants to lay out, he wants to make sure that these people and you and I know what it means to receive the supremacy of Christ in our life. That it's not just a lifestyle of things that we do, external behaviors, external standards of being a Christian. Hey, mom and dad, I'm getting straight A, so can I just do whatever I want? Okay, yeah, it's great that you're getting the grades, but there's, there's more to life than meeting the grade. I think that's one reason why young Christians drop out after they leave church and they go off to college. Yeah, colleges are kind of a crazy, wacko place and influence. I get that. But for so so many young Christians, they're not rooted in their own faith. They haven't made their parents' faith their own. Parents, when when you're looking for a college with your Junior or senior? Is that when you start looking? I guess I should start thinking about that too. John's going to be a junior soon. You're looking at top schools. You're looking at environment, programs, cost, distance from home, all those things. Please, for for their sake and your own, look also into the Christian fellowship that they can get plugged into. Don't just drop your kid off in college and say, okay, figure it out. Help them along the way. Cheryl and I met at UC Davis, a huge public school, and we both found our way to solid Christian community. I think I would have, I really think I might have walked away from the faith completely if it wasn't for that. This is actually the problem that was happening in the church in Colossae. They were confused about doctrine, they were confused about who God is, and so they were sort of listening to whoever was coming in saying, well, well, I guess that makes sense, and, or that teacher is really impassioned, I guess I'll go with that, or, well, this teaching sounds pretty popular, so I'll go with that. And They were confused, and so there was tremendous moral chaos in that church. And so Paul lays out all that theology to kind of clear the air, and here he is explaining what a vibrant, full, complete life in Christ looks like. And he identifies three ways. You've been waiting for the outline of the sermon, haven't you? Here it comes. Three ways, three handholds to identify with Christ. So here they are. Here they are. A little outline for the time I have with you. The foundation of our identity in Christ is laid out here in this passage. The focus of our identity in Christ and the future of our identity in Christ. Right here in just these 
few words of four verses, the foundation, the focus, and the future of your identity in Christ. So I'll explain those and then give you some practical handholds. First is our foundation of our identity in Christ. Look at verse 1. Since then, after everything he's written, you have been raised with Christ. Underline that phrase. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Everything that changed about your identity is wrapped up in these three words. Raised in Christ. Your sins were forgiven. Your old self passed away. You were raised to new life. You were adopted into God's family. You were given a new nature. You were given a new lease on life. You were raised in Christ. And now your life is built on a new foundation. The Bible says that the Christ is now the cornerstone. That's like the first stone that you set down when you build a building. Like, how are we going to start? Where do we start as kindergartners with our ABCs? What was the foundation of all of the learning? Well, Christ is now the ABC. He's the foundation of your life. And he's the one who gives you value. To value something is dependent on the willingness of others to want it. Isn't that true? So, for instance, my parents bought their house in Oakland, California in 1961 for $25,000. My parents ran into the house on a Saturday morning. My, my dad ran upstairs. My mom looked around the downstairs. My dad pulled out a $100 bill and slapped it on the table and said, we'll buy it. This will be our earnest money. A hundred bucks, 1961, $25,000. That house today is valued at $1.4 million. Why? We didn't like tear it down and rebuild the whole thing. Still, my bedroom is still the same, you know, size. The value came from the desire that people have of wanting it. And that it's rare. Housing shortage uh, in the Bay Area. Just imagine how rare it is, how unique it is, what God has done in your life. What was God willing to spend to bring you into his family? What did it cost him? How special and unique are you according to Scripture? According to Scripture, you are priceless. He's laying out a new foundation in Christ in your life. The second phrase that, that speaks to our, our value, that, that found, foundational value, is in verse 3. It says, your life is now underlined hidden in Christ. Where are we playing? Peekaboo? What's, it, it's hidden. So it's something of value, but it's, it's hidden. What, what are things that you hide? Chris, what do you hide? Do you hide some, something that's valuable, right? Maybe you have a safe. I don't want to like, give away any of the secrets, but you might have a safe in your home or maybe a safe deposit box. Why do we put things there? Why not just leave them out on our coffee table? Because they're valuable. We don't want them to get stolen or if, if there's a fire or some, some terrible thing happened, they're, they're valuable. So they're hidden way. There's a sense of that. The value of who you are in Christ is, is hidden with Christ, and the value is hidden from other people. Other people in your life who do not have this relationship with Jesus won't understand what you're about. 
who you are, the characteristics of your life, the things that you value, the decisions and choices that you're making. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I have a relationship with Jesus. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to honor that. They'll say, how it's foolish. Paul says to the world, it's foolishness. He says the cross is foolishness to the world. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross, that a Messiah who's supposed to come and destroy Rome and rule and knock everyone out that would die on a cross, he says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When I graduated from high school, I worked at an Italian delicatessen. I lived at home, went to junior college for, for two years, kind of get my act together before I transferred uh, to university. And I worked at this deli. There was a guy there named James. He was a little, little man, height-wise. This guy just gave me the hardest time all the time because I was a Christian. And I'm not wearing it on my sleeve. I mean, I'm, I'm slinging salami. I'm, I'm selling pad, uh, you know, uh, cheese and, and stuff. I'm just doing my job. And he's just constantly nitpicking at me, just constantly making fun of me. Like, man, why aren't you going to go to this event, that party? What, what's, what's your problem? Man, it really irritated me. Cut to he leaves to go UC Santa Barbara, big party school. You think, uh, what's the big party school in town in our state? What, which, where, which one? I hear the Cougs can be a party, a party school. So I think Santa Barbara is like that on steroids. Am I right, Bob? Is that known? It's a little reputation? Okay, you see Santa Barbara's got a reputation as well. So James goes off and I think, fine. Be well, live your life, go into whatever party scene you're going to do. He comes back at Christmas break to pick up a few hours to work at the deli. And he's a changed man. He... he Spiritually, he grew to six foot eight. He said, Pete, can I, can I talk to you for a second? I'm like, what? what is going on? He's acting really strange. He's super nice to me. He's being really gentle. He hasn't sworn once, and that's unlike him. He said, he said Pete, I met Jesus at UC Santa Barbara, and I am so sorry for the way I spoke to you. Man, we are now brothers in Christ. I'm getting goosebumps just remembering that, like, that's kind of freaky. You see, you see miracles in Scripture? That was a miracle right in front of me, standing in front of me. This man transformed. But it's hidden from those who don't understand it. 1 Peter 4, 4 puts it this way. Those people in your life who don't have this kind of relationship, it says they are surprised that you do not join with them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Have you experienced that kind of abuse? Listen, know it or not, there is a battle for your identity. That's how valuable you are, your soul. And the evil one, the accuser, that's literally what his name means, is battling for your soul. And he wants to buy you on the cheap. He doesn't want you to know how valuable you are. And he wants to buy you for himself. Ever since the fall Good things God has created have been distorted and twisted. Relationships, sex, and identity, to just name three. But by using influences around you, he's trying to strip you of your identity in Christ. 
And he's trying to take past hurts and pain and trauma and twist those things so you see yourself differently. You play the victim. You see yourself as less than others. He's using your life experience. And a big influence is the culture around us, that you should be like this or like that, instead of what God calls you to be. I don't know where this started. Where did Instagram selfies start? Anybody know? Cameron, when was the first Instagram selfie? What was this, this pose? I can't really do the, this little, little, like, little hip pose with the selfie picture or the image in the mirror. Like, where did that start? Everyone's trying to pose all the time. We're trying to show our identity, who we are. We're, we're plating food to show how fabulous our food is, our, our wonderful adventures. And, and all that, I think the Lord's just saying, yeah, like this thing. I think the Lord's saying, what are you doing? Don't you know how much I already love you? So that's the foundation. Practically speaking, practically speaking, you are not what other people say you are. Listen, you are not what other people say you are. Our culture will say, listen to your heart. <laughs> Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is fooling us. Don't listen to your heart. Listen to what God says in his word about you. You're not what other people tell you you are. Don't trust your own opinion of yourself. We can fool ourselves. We can condemn ourselves. Who are you going to believe? The voices out there? The voices on your phone? Or the living God? Trust in what God says about you. That's number one. That's our foundation. Okay, number two, quickly, we'll move along, is our focus. What is the focus of our identity in Christ? The focus. What are you focused on? Well, what are you putting your attention on? What's, what are you centering your attention on? I think about things that you have interest in and activities. You ever know someone who just is so into their hobby or sport that it's more than that? And how would they define that? It's, it's more than a hobby. It's more than a sport. They probably would say, no, it, it's a passion. I think about it all the time. I, I invest in it. I turn my, my heart and my mind to this thing all the time. Paul's saying here, that's the kind of attention we need to have in our relationship with God. He wants us to be wrapped up in Jesus. And so he writes, set your hearts on things above. Verse one, verse two, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And we're not talking down here is earth and up there is heaven. We're talking about all the things we discuss in the book of Revelation, the things of God's kingdom, the things of, of, that are godly and holy and righteous. That means our focus in our identity of Christ is a heavenly mindset. We want to develop a heavenly mindset. At some point a long time ago, a long time ago some smart aleck uh, said that it's possible to be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. <sighs> You look at church history, the men and women who were most heavenly minded, the most desiring of God's kingdom, did the most earthly good. The ones that were turning their attention to say, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They're the ones that changed the world. So having a heavenly mindset is very important to living a fulfilled, joyful Christian life. What do I mean by that? It says, set your hearts on things above. That means focus your desires. 
focus your priorities on the things that God focuses on. So often in our prayer life, and this is really about our prayers, so often we come to God with our, with our desires of things that we want. We want a handout from God. I want this, I want that, God. I'm coming to you for a handout instead of seeking the face of God. God, I want to know you. What are the things that you desire? How, how should I be praying about this circumstance? God, guide me in understanding your will and your ways. That's what it means to set our, our heart and our mind on the things of God. Philippians 4.8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, or pure, or lovely, or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Folks, you need to lift up the things that you are caring about. And we're not talking about just, this is the platform that I care about, or here's the label that I care about. Deep, deep understanding of the things that you say that you believe in, that you're backing, and live by those things that are honoring to this mandate of Scripture, a heavenly mindset. And so, yes, practically speaking, I'm talking about prayer. What's the nature of your prayer life? Just throw up a Hail Mary every so often? Throw up God, help me with this, help me with that? Instead of actually talking with God and listening to him? James says there's a battle going on for the desires that we have of our heart and our mind. He says in James 4, 3, puts it this way, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong, what? Motives. That you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. This doesn't mean don't pray for your, your, your pleasures. Don't, it doesn't mean don't pray for things that you desire. It, it means focus on kingdom pleasures and desires, and allow God to shape your prayer life out of that. Set all those things before God and say, Lord, is this of you? I get concerned that so often our, our theology is, is a mile wide, but it's an inch deep. Like we're willing to take in all sorts of different information, all at our fingertips. There's so many resources that we can find, and yet the depth of our understanding of God's word is about, it's so shallow. And I've heard whole theological concepts and constructs, a whole church is based off of a praise song instead of the word of God. Folks, if you can quote lyrics to a song more than you can, can have scripture on your heart, then, then there's a disconnect of really understanding what can drive you closer into your relationship with God. And so if you want to grow in your faith so that when dark times come, when you're under attack, if you want to be in a place where you can withstand those hardships, invest in solid biblical knowledge. And we're here to give you resources to do that, to dig deep into God's word, to interact with one another, to wrestle with these big theological concepts and then to make them real. We do this so that our love, our love can be faithful. So practically speaking, if your theology is based on lyrics of a song, you might have a problem. Well, one of Cheryl's life verses is this, and I'd encourage you to look it up, write it down. We'll post it on, on the uh, live stream right now on, the, uh, on Facebook. Isaiah 
chapter 26, verse 3. Pastor David, can you just post that on Facebook? Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says this. This is one of Cheryl's life verses. Saw us through so much that we're going to talk about next week. It says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. Or another way of saying is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So where is your focus? Where are you looking for direction? The Christian whose thoughts are on God and his kingdom is promised to have perfect peace instead of anxiety and worry. In just these couple of verses, uh, we're getting a better grip on our understanding of our identity in Christ, the implications of living out this faith. We've talked about uh, the foundation and focus and finally the future. I'll be, I'll be brief. We're already coming out of the Revelation series, so we start talking about future, man. We'll just start launching into Revelation again. I don't want to do that, but look at verse 4, a couple of things. It says, when Christ, who is your life, like now he's just pulling back. Now he's not even being playing nice at all, is he? There's no give or take. Oh, it's not a lifestyle. It's this and that. These different ideas of relationship, like a husband and wife have a relationship. No, he's saying, no, no, set all that aside. Let's just cut to the chase. He's now your life. That's how much focus Paul's calling for. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He's saying, this is the future that Christ has for you. Will you mess up? Of course. And stumble? and have to get back up again? It's a big part of my story next week but you can have confidence that no matter what life throws at you, Christ's future for you is secure. That's what this is saying. The security of the future that he has for you, the plans he has for you. Friends, listen to this. Your self-identity is determined to a large extent by what you think the people who matter most in your life think about you. We're getting late into this live stream. Maybe you, you've, you faded on that. Take a sip of coffee. Let me repeat that. Your self-identity is determined to a large extent by what the pe- people you think... <laughs> your self-identity, see, even I messed it up, is determined to a large extent by what you think the people who matter most in your life think about you. Make Jesus the most important person in your life. Care more about what he thinks about you than anybody else. Care more about the plans he has for you than what anyone else, any career planner, any teacher, they're all great, the mentors, it's all fantastic, but care more about the plans God has for you and the future he has promised for you. I love this. This is from from Pastor Rick. And I don't mind if someone says at the end of this, you know, the best thing that Pastor Pete said was quoting Rick Warren. It's going to happen. I'm okay with it. I'm okay. I'm kind of okay with it. I might be a little bruised inside. Is this on? Can they hear me say this? Okay. So this is probably the best thing you're going to hear today, but here it is. I love this. I love this. He says, in Christ, you are completely acceptable, infinitely valuable, and everlastingly lovable. God doesn't pour out his spirit on what God does not love. When you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, God moved into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit and indwelled your being. God doesn't reside in vessels or containers or houses that he doesn't love. That's how much he loves you. 
God is in the process of renovating you, of, of growing you, of bringing to you the full purpose of your life. That's what's happening right now. That's the future that God has for you. You can't see it. You're not aware of it. People in your life might question, well, you seem to be tearing things down, not building them up. But God knows what he's doing in your life. And the Father is doing it with his tender love. So you can't get more practical than this. As you abide in God's love, you become a container, a vessel, a, a, a person filled, an instrument of God's love to be poured out and expressed to other people around you. So our identity in Christ, number one, the foundation. Number one, care most about what his opinion of you is, his value of you more than anybody else. That's number one for our identity in Christ. Number two, our focus Check your prayer life and invest in your Bible knowledge. Pursue godly wisdom and godly relationships. Focus on that. Even coming into the summer, so I'm going to focus on my prayer life and focus on my biblical knowledge. And number three, the future. Remember who you are in Christ, even in the hardest times. And thank God that he's sovereign. And next week, I'm going to come back and share I won't have any notes. I won't have any uh, trappings. I'll just be me sharing with you our story and how our identity in Christ, through the hardest trials of life, God was good and faithful.